1: In today's episode, we'll be discussing the monsters of Arkansas. Also, in this episode, we have a special co-host,
2: Jana. Good evening. How are you? I'm Kathy Harrison, J- Janner's mom. I hope you enjoyed the broadcast. I hope you do too, guys. Thank you.
1: Arkansas it's from History.com Part of the land acquired in the Louisiana Purchase, Arkansas became a separate territory in 1819 and achieved statehood in 1836. A slave state, Arkansas became the ninth state to succeed from the Union and join the Confederate State of America. Today, Arkansas ranks 27th among the 50th States and area, but except for Louisiana and Hawaii, it is the smallest state west of the Mississippi River. Its neighbors are Missouri to the north, Tennessee and Mississippi to the east, Louisiana to the south, Texas to the southwest, and, and Oklahoma to the west. The name Arkansas was used by the early French explorers to refer to the Quapaw people, a prominent indigenous group in the area and to the river along which they settled. The term was likely a corruption of. Arkansas, the word applied to the Quapaw by another local indigenous community, the Illinois. The Little Rock, a state capital, is created in the central part of the state. In 1957, Little Rock Central High School became the focus of natural attention when the federal troops were deployed to the campus to enforce integration. Arkansas became a state on June 15, 1836. Its capital is Little Rock, it has a population from a 2010 census of 2,950,908 people. It is uh, 53,168 square miles. It is nicknamed the Natural State and the Land of Opportunity. Its motto is not Re- Re- Populous, the people rule. Its state tree is the pine, its straight flower is the apple blossom, state bird is the mockingbird. It's facts of Arkansas. Established by President Theodore Roosevelt in 1907, Wichita National Forest reigns as the oldest national forest in the south. The Wichita Mountains are unusual in that their ridges run east to west as opposed to north to south. Arkansas is home to a wide array of natural resources including petroleum, natural gas, permitting, and silica stone. Throughout the 20th century, the state was responsible for providing roughly 90% of all domestic bauxite from which aluminum is made. Although it was not officially design- designated a national park until 1921, the territory now na- known as Hot Springs National Park was originally set aside by Congress as a U.S. government reservation in 1832, 40 years before Yellowstone National Park was established as the first national park with an average temperature of 143 degrees Fahrenheit. The hot springs have been used for centuries as therapeutic baths. Following the spring court ruling in Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka, which outlawed segregation in public education, Little Rock's Central High School became a battleground in the fight for civil rights. The Arkansas National Guard denied nine African-American students entry in 1957. Weeks later, on September 25th, The students attended the first full day of school under federal troop escort ordered by President Dwight Eisenhower. The Ozark National Forest covers 1.2 million acres and includes more than 500 species of trees and woody plants. Arkansas is the nation's leading producer of rice and poultry, and grows nearly every crop produced in the United States with the exception of citrus fruits. From eighteen seventy-four to 1967, every Arkansas governor was a member of the Democratic Party. Okay. Herber, Sp- Herber Springs Water Panther. I read it. Okay.
2: <sighs> this is, is this the last one? long? What that paragraph? Huh? What's that paragraph? Heber Springs Water Panther. Perhaps the most overlooked monster legend in the natural state in the Heber Springs Water Panther. A weird cross between the Bigfoot and a puma. and The creature reportedly can breathe both on land and underwater. It is manlike with a covering of fur, gives off a hellish scream when roaming the deep forest around Greer's ferry Lake and the little Red River. like the others, the water panther
1: it's better. It's better.
2: It's better. like the others, the water panther has been seen in recent years. Perhaps fewer people are venturing through the woods and swamps at midnight in the 21st century, accounting for fewer sightings, and maybe high-tech video games and movies have obscured the legends and the folktales of a few decades ago. One more thing. The man was found around a low fire alone. He sat with stillness at, as his eyes traced on the faint wisp of a smoke crawling out from under the wood. The two hikers approached with caution as the rising sunlight broke between the trees. The taller of the duel set down his pack and moved towards the thin figure with an open canteen. "'Long night, friend,' he asked. "'Don't get too close,' warned Flint. "'I don't like the look in his eyes.' Colt set the water beside the man. He made no motion in response. Unwashed, blond hair littered by gray streaks sprouted from his head." with a gout face to match. Ease off, Flint, Colt replied. Hey, buddy, did you lose your pack or something? The man continued to watch the cinders twirl. There was nothing resembling a campsite or supplies around the man, but he looked as if he had been there for days. The tatters of what once were jeans hung loosely around his hips, and his feet were bare and black as dirt. What are you doing out here, asked Flint. The man blanked. He's lost it, assessed Flint. Got a name? He twitched. Did you come out here with anyone? With this man's eyes flickering out of the trance, he stood up. "'and took a surprised step away from the hikers. "'Friends, oh yes, they left. "'He started gathering twigs and branches around the campsite, "'tossing them erratically into a pile near the ambers. "'I don't want to leave just yet. "'It's better around the fire. "'You two can maybe go through, though. "'Good to know,' Colt started. So just, just, so just, so you're just going to stay here? The man nodded. Indefinitely. He sat back on the ground. Well, buddy, you're about 30 miles from the closest city. If you're head back that way, we came and follow the markers, you You should hit the road eventually. You sure you're okay? The man gazed deep into the flames once more. Well, okay then, Colt laughed. They left the man with some water, the few snacks they could spare, and set back into the trail. We can call the rangers if we get some service up ahead, Colt assured Flint. I'd say he looks homeless, but this is too far "'removed from any city from him to just wander up. "'Who knows? Let's just get going. "'We wasted enough time on him as it is,' grunted Flint. "'They were aiming to complete a section "'of the Orzo Highland Trail over the weekend. "'It was Colt's idea to get Flint's mind off things for a while. "'Cole had grown up in the area and invited Flint to come with him on his last remaining mile of the trail. It was October in the, Orzos, in the Orzarks, and the forest was in proper attire. Preparing for the cold slumber of winter, the land exerted the last of its strength of the year. Foliage sporting vibrant orange, red, and yellow bursts and reached toward the her- Horizon in all directions, and a crisp breeze nipped at the hiker's exposed hands and necks. The two moved in silence for miles, simply observing it all. How's the bar doing, asked Flint. Hey now, cold single action canteen is more than just a bar these days. Serving wings on Monday doesn't make you a restaurant, true, but having burgers and brats on Fridays and Saturdays has pushed us over the pesky threshold. You haven't changed a bit since college, Flint laughed. Why would I want to? Steadily business up front, and I can't get a ticket-driving drunk in my room in the back. Plenty to keep me busy between the two. I think I've made out pretty well for myself. Jealous you didn't invest in it with me while you had the chance? Flint paused at that. Maybe I should have, he conceded. I I suppose I'll be spending more time there now myself. You've got a seat on permanent reservation there so long as it's my name on the front. "'How sweet of you,' replied Flint. "'Ah, what the hell!" cried Colt "'as he came to an abrupt halt. "'What?' asked Flint. "'The markers, man. "'Countless trail markers' plates "'had been gathered on one tree "'in a strange twisted shape, "'swirling about the base of the trunk's tree, "'tree's trunk. "'The mangled metal,' Stretched up into the branches while well over twenty feet, with no nails to hold them, they were gashed and pushed deep into the bark of the wood to hold their unnatural shape. The forest beyond the trees was as indiscernible indiscret indis- in discernible in the as it was dense and they knew the darkness of the night was no more than a hour off attempting to forge a path any further would be more brave than w- wise colt ran his hand up the spirals in examination christ these must be from ahead f- these must be f- from ahead for miles. Who the hell would do this, said Flint. No idea, but those must be from every tree in this section, replied Colt. Best we turn around, concluded Flint. But the trip started, Colt. Can wait another weekend, finished Flint. I appreciate what you were trying to do, but it can't wait. Last thing in the world I need right now is to get lost in the middle of God knows where. Well, shit, I bet it was the crazy back at the campsite, mumbled Colt as they turned around on the trail. They saw not a single tracker as they backtracked, however, and only through steady consultation consultation with their map Map's record of physical landmarks were able to find the area where they first found the man. He was still there, and the fire was now roaring. Oh, great, began Colt as they approached. Let's just get a couple of hours rest each and head out at dawn, said Flint. And if he tries anything weird, I have a knife in my bag big enough to screw to score him, score him, score him. The two came up beside the fire without another word between them. The sun was well below the horizon. By the time they unloaded their packs, but they made basic camp within the faded light all the same. Settled in as best they could, they sat opposite the stranger around the fire. Colt puffed a cigar as if he had all the time in the world to do so, but Flint kept his eyes on the man. The man stared at nothing but the fire. A distant but horrified cry rang out through the cold night air. Colt dropped his cigar on himself as he covered his ears. Flint moved to protect his own. The fire flashed blue for a moment, and the man howled with laughter. As the painful sound subsided, the man the men gathered themselves. Flint retrieved his knife, and Colt went to the edge of the fire's light to inspect the darkness beyond. What the hell was that? yelled Flint, too loud to be coyotes, reasoned Colt, maybe a bear holler howler stated the man the two turned to him and his eyes darted to meet their own for a moment. Get out of here with that crap, scoffed Colt. What's a howler? asked Flint. Christ, I haven't heard of that one since Boy Scouts. Same as Bigfoot. El Chapacabri and all the mambo jumbo's B.S. Colt bat. Some beasts that roam the countryside by night, preying upon inept in-ep hikers if they wander too far from their fire. My grandpa used to tell us stories of the howlers driving men crazy and worse. <coughs> Just a spooky story to tell kids so they behave. That ain't what we heard. Maybe some poor dying thing trapped out there. Howler, the man repeated. The men did what they could could to ease themselves. Colt revealed a flask from within the inner vest pocket and passed it to his rattled friend. With shaky hands, he relit his own cigar. First only silence rang, but soon the liquid did its duty in luring conversation out of the men. This was a good idea, you know, Flint sta- started. Thanks, man, responded Colt. After everything at home happened, I honestly couldn't tell who was my friend anymore. All the lawyers, the papers, the gossip, it was just too much for me. You know, I'm not good at any of that. Don't get in your head too much about it. Hard not to, man. It's just a rough patch. We all hit them. Go ahead and get some sleep. I'll stay awake and we can head out first thing in the morning. We'll be having a laugh over some cold brews by this time tomorrow. Flint went to his hammock with his knife still well in his hand. However, soon he found the soft crackle of the flame and the subtle swinging, to be too alluring after a long day of hiking. The horrible cry was fading to to little more than a distasteful memory as he drifted off into a sweet oasis of sleep. There was no refuge to be found in rest, however, and within his dreams he found himself woefully Alone in a mist-filled field, a filled forest, he walked. A low and deep growl filled the air behind him. He walked faster. Daring to turn his head behind him, he saw wisps of black fur. He ran. Ahead of him was a pale bone tip reflecting the moonlight. He sprinted to the other direction, the snap of a swift teeth rang out in response behind him. Then the floor behind him was no more, and he fell forward into nothing surrounded by sound not found in nature. He awoke, soaked in sweat, his hands grasping the halt of the knife so tightly that his knuckles were white and arched deep. Coat was gone, but the man was not. Gust of wind rustled the dead leaves below his hammock. But otherwise, the night was quiet. Flint struggled to free himself from his hammock. He paced around the fire and called for Colt. He looked at the man in the fire and back towards the night. Shuddering the silence came a sound more terrible than the last tenfold guttural and so deep the branches of the trees themselves trembled. The howl was loud, beyond reason. The fire grew well beyond its pit and sent fragments of blue flames dancing between the stars before being silenced by the immobile immutable darkness. Flint fell to his knees and clutched his head in agony while the Howl echoed off the forest for what felt like a harsh eternity. After it dwindled down, Flint rose up from the ground. Bewildered by the night, he took a seat across from the unmoved man while his head spun. At daybreak, he set out in search for his friend. Unfamiliar with the area, he carved his own markers with his knife as he searched his calls into the forest went unanswered and the hours passed without concern for his plight he heard the howl he heard the howl the whole way yet no matter how hard the search he found neither the source or his friend all afternoon Near nightfall, miles away and well off the trail, he found Colt near a small stream with his arms folded neatly across his chest. The blood in his ears were dried and flaked, but the trails running down his neck and face were still wet. His eyes were wide, frozen and without life, and silent, duty flint gathered him in his arms and returned to the camp as the sun began to distant once more he found the man gathered wood seeing the crumbled figure in flint's arms he shook his head and laughed you think this is funny flint laid the long skinny body in the light and went over towards the man he continued to laugh Shut the hell up, yelled Flint as he pushed the man over a rock. He laughed even louder as he hit the ground. Stop laughing, he commanded as he struck the man's jaw squarely with a close fist, closed fist. The man continued, so he hit him again, but harder. Blood was broken, blood with broken chips of teeth pulled and the back of the man's mouth, but he emitted gurgling laughter nevertheless. Flint struck him again and again with all his strength to no avail. Eventually he lost himself to, ta- to the task of stopping the sound that assailed him so. With calm procession, Flint took out his knife and opened the man and opened the man across the throat lacking for air the laughter subsided the last look in the man's eyes was almost gratitude immediately flint heard a cackle come from all around him and so he sat close to the fire as the darkness be- beyond grew he s- saw by the flames light flashes of barred teeth and heard the scuffle of hooves. When the fire grew low, he had no choice but to offer his remaining supplies and sacrifice to the light. The Saturday the... satiated. Huh? Satiated. Satated, the cetated fire spat back shadows for Flynn's wary eyes to follow. Three shades of human form were cast by the light. Two danced with one another while the other watched and clapped, and a smile almost cracked across Flint's dried lips. Spinning around the incandescent, Glow without a care. The smaller of the two began to fade. Soon it withered to a flicker and finally dissolved into nothing more than ash and dart. The two that remained dredged toward together towards the forest, but one strayed too far from the flame. The tall became lost in the darkness beyond the light, and so was and so was consumed with it. The lone shade now looked all about the life for the small or the tall, but they both were beyond sight. A shadow of a claw pursued the frantic form like a cat toying with a cornered mouse, and attempted to wrap about the the lone figure who clung, clung desperately close to the dying fire. Clint finally removed his shirt and the shoes to feed the fire, and the darkness receded once more. Daybreak soon, but Flint dared not sleep even then. He had no supplies to speak of, nor Idea where he was within the forest, and the two bodies beside him were, no gathering, were now gathering flies and worse. He heard sounds both near and far of the hor- horrid howl, other hikers approaching, and hundred others that blended toward, to together in a terrible cat.
1: Oh, okay a
2: uh, uh, cacophony a terrible cacophony eyes heavy as stone yet refusing to close they remain transfixed by the cruel blue flames
1: I'm just read this Boarding. Huh? Boarding.
2: The Arzark Howler, also known as Arzark Black Howler, the Hoo hoo, the nightshade bear and the devil cat is a legendary creature that is purpo- to, purpo- purported to purported li- to to live in remote areas in Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Texas. <coughs> it is typically described as being bear-sized. With a thick body, stocky legs, black shaggy hair, glowy red eyes, and promo- promo- uh, permanent promo- uh, prominent horns. Its cry is often described as being a combination of a wolf howl, an elk's bo- uh, bugle, and the laugh of a hyena. Cryptozoologists have suggested that the creature might be a misidentified or unrecognizable big cat. Anthropolo- anthropologists and folk have speculated that the creature might be a branching off of a dark dog of the death. Found in British folklore, such as a Church Grim, Black Shock, or a Gay Trash. These comparison notes that many versions of the Hellhound are described, like the Orzark Howler, as having glowy red eyes. The Orzark Howler also like these legendary beefs, beasts, has, has been described as a dark omen, predicting the death of those who see it. Some biologists who believe in the Azark the howler assert that it's a mountain lion breed who has either mutated into a new sub. Species, or is a hybrid of a mountain lion and is unno- an, an unknown creature. Other guesses have included that the Arzark howler might be a wild boar, an eastern woodland bison, a hyena, or a surviving member of the Creodot family. Hoax Chad Arment asserts in his book, Cy- Cyropo- Cryptozoology, Cryptozool- that the Orzok Howler myth is a hoax. According to Armit, he and many other cryptozoologists received an email message making claims about Orzok Howler evidence these messages were tracked down to a university of arkansas students who had made a bet that he could fool the cryptozoologist research community however stories of the or- orza caller are said to predict that this jason off in his new book, Chasing America Monsters, writes that many people have dismissed the Orzok Holler but Holler sightings stretch back to the early 80s, 1800s I'm sorry. Zoran Coleman had endorsed the book as highly recommended writing. Off Hot does a special service to the field of zoology. with the new book. History of Sightings The earliest legend of the Orzoc howler is of meeting between the Daniel Boone and the creature in Missouri in the early 1800s. Boone is purported to have fired his gun at the Orzak Holler in some version of the story, although there is no evidence that the beast was killed and kept as a thro- trophy. Recently, the Orzak howler was in Newton County, Arkansas, 2011. Most recently, in 2015, an area resident claimed to have photographed the Orzak Holler at Devil's Den State Park. Orzak Holler in Literature Whatever the truth of the Zorzak Holler is, or Orzak's Hour, it has inspired generations of artists and writers. In the 1930s, a local press published a small run of books of folklore about the creature called Tales of the Orzak Howler. Howler. A destined later folklorist, Vince Randolph, referred to the Orzak Howler by the name Ho-Ho in the book. Orzak Superstitions in 1973, the Orzok Howler was reimagined as a multi-dimensional time-traveling creature in Timothy Goodwin's short story, The Hair of the Black Howler. Most recently, the Howler has been written about in the children's books, Hunt the Orzok Howler and Billy Bob's Howler, as well as the Mason Dixon series of novels by Eric R Asher. The Orzot Collar has also inspired regional poets, most notable in KW Perry's book Orzal Collar and Orzal Carla Verse by Rufus Gray.
0: We all know real life can suck sometimes, and your boss accidentally seeing you in your underpants on Zoom last week doesn't help any. That's why reluctantly codependent sisters, the Shira and Rishalia, keep you enthralled and in stitches every week with their podcast, Legendary Africa. Every Monday and Friday, we take you on a journey of mythical lands, magical objects, and monstrous creatures, both ancient and modern. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you feed your ears. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary.
1: The howl, as you might expect, is the hallmark of the Hozark howler. Its sound has been described as a very deep and guttural, as well as high-pitched howl. Others have said that it's the most unearthly scream and half-human. One of the most common descriptions of the sound is like screams of a woman. Those who have heard the screams pierce the night's Never forget the chill that ran up their spine and the feeling of dread that washed over them. Some claim that the sounds are made by animals commonly found in the region. They point to the screams and howls of animals like the red fox, fisher cat, and even biting raccoons. Is it accusative? Scottish, Irish, Welsh, and English settlers homesteaded the Ozarks Plateau in the mid to eighteen hundreds, and they brought with them their ancestral stories and mythologies. One such story was the Cusis, a mythological hound that is feared as a harbinger of death. The settlers believed that the hound would come to bear away the soul of a person to the afterlife, similar to the Grim Reaper. Hounds of death went by the other names, such as Bean, Sith, Cusith, and Kun'anul. According to the Scottish folklore, the Kusis is said to be the size of a young bull with the appearance of a wolf. Its fur is shaggy, and usually cited as being dark green, though sometimes white. Its tail is described as being long and either cold up or plaited. braided. Its paws are described as being the width of a man's hand. The coup Sith is brought is sought to make its home in the clefts of rocks in the highlands, and also to the room roam the moors and highlands. According to legend The creature was capable of hunting silently, but occasionally let out three terrifying bays and only three that could be heard for miles by those listening for it, even far out at sea. Those who hear the baying of the Kusis must reach safety by the third bark or be overcome with terror to the point of death. It was also said that the baying was a warning to lock up nursing women lest the beast abduct them and take them to a fairy mound. Scottish scallops, scenes, to supply milk for the children of the Fae. In Wales, they were associated with migrating geese, supposedly making pills of their hawkings in the night reminiscent of barking dogs. Hunting grounds for the Quin Annu are said to include the mountains of Cater Idris, Cater where it is believed the howling of these huge dogs were told dead to anyone who heard them. According to Welsh folklore, their growling is loudest when they are at a distance, and, is, and as they draw nearer, it grows softer and softer. Their coming is generally seen as a death portent. Some people see a connection between the mythologies that came here with the settlers and ancient stories of the Native Americans who inhabit the region. Natives told stories of a saber-toothed tiger that used to burden the land, although they have been gone for thousands of years. Combined stories of the tiger and the sellers tales of unworthy creatures that scream and carry the soul as it did may have resulted in the Ozark howler. Okay. The White River Monster. Since at least 1915, residents of Newport in far northeast Arkansas have been been reporting signs of a fearsome river monster, known locally as Whitey. In the muddy waters of the White River, the best early eyewitness account of the creature comes from July 1937, when a wealthy and respected plantation owner named Bramlett Bateman claimed he saw the monster in the river, describing the creature as having sick gray skin like a seal, blowing up great gouts of water from a blowhole, and being wide as a car and three cars long that's in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 feet long. Bateman was convinced enough of the existence of the creature that he helped spearhead the construction of a huge rope net span the river in an attempt to try and capture the beast. Former Navy divers were even brought in to look for the creature underwater, but to no avail, Wadi apparently disappeared until 1971 when witnesses along the White River again claimed to have seen a gray-horned monster, more than 20 feet long, thrashing in the water. Investigators later found a trail of 14-inch long footprints, each with three toes along the riverbank. With some experts suggesting the monster might be a wayward manatee or elephant seal, the interest in the case was so fierce that in 1973, the Arkansas State Legislature, tun plated planted firmly in their cheek, created the White River Monster Refuge, making it illegal to harass or harm the monster. Though the White River monster is now a protected species, signs have dropped off presumptuously in recent years. This is uh, from AY Magazine, AYMag.com, by Joe David Rice. About 250 miles northeast of the stomping grounds of the folk monster lies another favorite haunt of cryptozoologists. It's a stretch of the White River near Newport, and the quarry is an elusive beast aptly named the White River Monster. Although Native American lore is said to have passed down tales of a legendary phenomenon and other sightings, a date from 1915, things didn't really get really interesting until the summer of 1937. That's when Dee and Sylvia Wyatt, a sharecropper couple living on the river, spotted what appeared to be a drowning horse thrashing in the middle of the stream. They kept quiet about it at first, very felt recoil from the friends and family, but when the same commotion continued for several days, they finally contacted Bramble Bateman, their landlord and a son of, of, of a prominent family. After Bateman observed the strange creature turning the water, he hurried into Newport, for he had seen a beast in the White River as big as a boxcar and slick as slimy as a slimy elephant without legs. A dozen or so other witnesses, including a Jackson County deputy sheriff, stepped up to corroborate the perplexing account. Although the location of the alleged sightings was about six miles north of Newport via an unpaved and overgrown road, hundreds of townsfolk swarmed the riverbank in the days to follow. Many left convinced that they spotted the aquatic invader. Newspaper articles from across the country included detailed descriptions of the monster, but press photographers never captured it on film. Time Magazine, noting that 1937 had been a dull year for monsters, got an act running a 500-word piece on the peculiar happenings in Newport. Armed citizens, one toting a Thompson submachine gun, patrolling the shoreline 24 hours a day for a week before the Newport Chamber of Commerce partnering with Bateman again charging spectators 25 cents a head. Then they hired Charles Brown, a professional diver from Memphis, to probe the river's depths, carrying a razor-sharp eight-foot harpoon. Brown slipped beneath the surface three times over a two-day period in search of the behemoth. Meanwhile, local entrepreneurs built a dance floor next to the river, brought in musicians, and sold barbecued goat sandwiches, fresh fruit, and cold drinks to the festive throng. Darren. Could even hire a pilot for a bird's eye view, a spectacle, a, a spectacle, a spe- spectacle. Sorry. After Brown found no evidence of anything unusual, not surprising given the murky waters' three-inch visibility, the carnival-like atmosphere soon dissipated. One expert estimated Newport had received nine million dollars worth of free publicity in nineteen thirty-seven. As a result of the hoopah. strangely enough, the White River Monster story had overshadowed another search going on at the same time the hunt in the Pacific for lost air trucks. Amelia Har- Earhart. In the summer of 1971, additional sightings of the White River Monster occurred. One gentleman supposedly got a polaroid photograph of the beast, but was too vague to be useful. Curious about these incidents, Ollie Richardson and Joey Dupree. Launched a boat into the river near Newport and headed for to Town Head Island, a short distance, distance upstream from the location of the 1937 incidents. Where bizarre tracks had been found in the sand, their watercraft suddenly stuck something in the middle of the river, elevating the boat and terrifying the men who were convinced they landed on the back of the fruit. The Richardson Debris duo didn't see the monster, but, others had, ah, but other sightings. That summer included one that claimed a horn emerged from the creature's forehead and another that reported it looked as if the thing was peeling all over, but it was a smooth type of skin or flesh. These observations convinced one imaginative biologist that a large male elephant seal in its annual molting stage had mistakenly traveled thousands of miles from points unknown across the Gulf of Mexico into the Mississippi River and up the White River to the Newport area. Fortunately, the Arkansas Senate found time to debate the matter, recognizing it was in the best interest of the state of Arkansas to protect the welfare of a now internationally famous White River Monster from harm or extinction. Because of the great tourist attraction, this August body passed a resolution in 1973 establishing a 48-mile riparian reserve to be known as the White River Monster Sanctuary and Refuge. Referring to periodic signs by reptile persons, this non-binding resolution, sponsored by Senate Robert Harvey of nearby Swifton, made it unlawful to molest, kill, trample, or harm the White River monster while in its natural retreat. No violations have yet been reported. Folk? Yeah,
2: Folk. The Folk Monster. The Folk Monster. The state's most famous legendary creature. The Folk Monster is named after Folk, a tiny town in Miller County in the far southwest of the state. Stories of a large hairy creature had been circulating in the area since at least the 1940s But the legend legend really took off in May of 1971 after the folk resident, Bobby Ford, and his family raced into the town to to report to the local police that previous night they and their home had been attacked by a hairy creature that stood seven feet tall, Stood upright like a man and had bright red eyes. Ford's wife, Elizabeth, and Ford's brother said it all started after they saw the creature on their rural property and took a short and took a shot at it with their rifle, knocking it down and apparently wounding the creature. The Ford told deputies that the engaged creature then attacked the house, trying to break in through the windows and doors. And at one point of putting a long, hairy arm through a window in an effort to grab one of them. (coughs) After several hours under surge, the Fords were able to escape and to drive to town to report what they had seen. After Bobby Ford was treated for shock, bruising and scratches at a local hospital, police investigated, investigators visited the property and found no monster blood or corpse but did find huge strong tracks and claws like gorgs, gorgs on the porch of the house. Newspaper reports of the events the next day coined the name Folk Monster, and the story became a nationwide sensation after it was reported on the Associated Press, United Press International, Wire Services. The surge of interest led to the, to the 1973 low-budget film, The Legend of the Boogie Creek, and a sequel which have since become cult favorites. As for the folk monster sightings in the area have slowed to a trickle in the years since the proposed attack on the Ford's home.
1: Uh, more often than not, a poor life is anything but glamorous. Instead of unraveling mysteries, a love, a love of some paperback novel hero, most days are spent picking out bits of hard news meetings, traffic accidents, fires. Then for the very lucky, along comes a gen of a story. Jim Powell was a reporter for the Texas Gazette and Daily News when he came across such a story in May 1971 he is now building manager of the bi-state justice building dave hall called me and said something strange was going on down in folk bowels and crawls so we went down there at the time hall was the news director of tex argon radio station ktfs he is now emergency management coordinator for Texas arson and Bow- bowie county what Powell saw was a reporter's dream. It became an ongoing story that would eventually become a legend. The story was the sighting of the folk monster. When we got to the house, the people were moving out, Powell said. They had a U-Haul and were packing their things and leaving the area. Powell and Hall didn't see any tracks that day, but did see a family that was literally scared out of their wits. We checked with the hospital, and they said this. The guy was in shock, Powell. Said he was really afraid of something. In fact, Powell's story is the basis for much of what is known about the incident. The Bobby Ford family had moved into the house less than a week before. The men had been out hunting when they heard a woman scream at the house. Returning back to the house, Ford saw a creature that stood seven feet tall and was three feet wide across the chest. When he felt a hairy arm around his neck, it scared him so badly that he ran through a glass wood front door the man the man said that they shot at the creature seven times and thought they had at least wounded it they told powell they had used all their ammunition but while but when investigators later come to the scene no blood was found but their fear was so real that night that that folk constable ernest walraven loaned them a gun and ammunition in case the creature came back before morning Powell said he researched the story thoroughly, finds printed sources for earlier signs in the 1960s. It is possible that the story might have stayed a local legend, buried on some back page and thrown out with the garbage at the end of the day, but something in the story sparked the public's imagination. The Associated Press and the United Press International both picked up the story and transmitted it to member newspapers across the nation. Maybe the story struck a chord because Powell let the words of the people who had seen the creature tell the story. Maybe it was because he gave it an entity when he gave it a name. I was sitting at my typewriter on the second story and I realized that I had to call it something, he said. The woman had said it reached her hairy arm through the window. It was breathing hard and had eyes that were as big as half dollars and as red as coal. Powell dubbed the creature the folk monster. The name stuck. Hall recalled arriving at the scene early in the morning after the attack to find a frightened family moving their blinds into a U-Haul. We went into the area behind the house and saw unusual footprints and small saplings broken off heading to a wooden area, he said. We never saw any blood, although the people said they fired several shots and thought they hit it. There was a lot of speculation at the time about whether the signs was an elaborate hoax. Rumors circulated that a circus train had derailed along the Sulphur River bottom years before and the sightings were merely animals that had escaped and gone wild. This and other monster stories had a snowballing effect. Soon, teams of monster hunters descended on the city and calls and letters from interested parties flooded local officials' phone lines and desks. My desk too, pal said. It got caught... Got to be quite a showdown there. The local sheriff's office stopped people to check for guns and liquor and asked them to not cut fence lines. Monster hunters, fueled by rewards, swarmed across the countryside. The Little Rock radio station KAAY offered a reward of $1,000 and ni- $1,090 to anyone who could find the monster. A local man by the name of Scoggins offered a $200 reward. It was chaos, Ricky Roberts, owner of the Monster Mart and Folk, remembers. There were a lot of people out there looking who weren't local. People showed up with everything from guns to tape recorders, hoping to catch a sight or sound of the creature. Giant footprints appeared in in Willie E. Smith's soybean field. They were strange, Pal said. They were all in line and didn't step on any plants. I got pictures of them. Although the creek hunters didn't capture the monster, the science continued. Three weeks after the forward sightings, three people heading back to Texark- Texarkana from Shreveport saw something large and hairy run across the highway in front of them. I know the, those people, and they were very reliable and very truthful. Former Sheriff Leslie Greer recalled, "I don't know what they saw, but I do believe they saw something." An Oak Street resident sitting on her front porch said she saw the monster in a field across from her home. We had several here in town, Powell said. Then the science slacked off after the arrest of the three officers, claimed they were attacked by the monster. I think they were drinking, and got into a scuffle, and skinned one another up, Greer said. They were fined $59 each for filing a fraudulent or monster report. Greer, who was the Miller County Sheriff from 1967 to 1974, said he heard of the monster as early as 1946. I was campaigning for tax assessor and stopped to talk to a lady sitting on her front porch, he said. She lived about halfway between Folk and the Bellow Bridge. She told me that she saw some kind of animal go down in the field in a low, bushy place. She said it looked kind of like a man and walked like a man, but she didn't think it was a man. Greer gave much consideration to the report until 1971 one Then I got to think about it, he said. There were other reported monster attacks, but most turned out to be hoaxes. More worrisome was the fear that would-be monster hunters would harm some innocent person. There was a group who were going to get together a hunting party, and I told them it would be alright to come and look, but they couldn't trespass and they weren't allowed to carry any guns, guru said. Had it hurt anything and they didn't need to be carrying guns trespassing didn't create some hurt they create some hurt feelings though words soon got out that willie e smith a local service station owner found three toe tracks in his soybean fields and made mold of the prints. he made souvenirs from the mold and sold them to monster monster enthusiasts the original molds of the print stayed in the service station until it was destroyed by fire said he took the local game warden to the bean field, but neither he nor the game warden Carl Galen, Galen you know I never am ever seen tracks like those in the field and can't say the tracks were authentic. Interest eventually began to wane but the coming of the movie The Legend of Boggy Creek Three years later, Fefield's story bringing all the activity back to town, Powell covered that story too. Whether or not the folk monster exists or never, or ever existed is a million-dollar question everyone in the small town ponder. I haven't seen it, but a lot of people have, and some of them are very credible, Robert said. I believe them. Folk Mayor Cecil Smith also had has invalid feelings about the monster, and although he has seen the movie that scared me lines, his only comment was that he thought the scenery was pretty. I used to coon hunt down there, he said. People would ask me if I was scared, but I never felt like anything that big could maneuver around. Some believe it's strong, and some don't. But for pal, the veracity of the story is no longer as significant as longevity. Its primary satisfaction comes from the lasting interest in the story itself, a living tale, there's like the legend of Sleepy Hollow. At the time, it was a good story, he said. I've got a lot of fun with it through the years. I've gotten to talk to people from all over North America and get their views on the story. I don't have a lot of legends here, and it's interesting to be part of that legend. And every time Powell logs into a Bigfoot site on the internet, he's reminded of this contribution to the lore and legends that are kept alive there. That was from Sonny Theoboto from Tuscar sink is it. The, go- the Galro, the Arkansas monster with the most tenuous claim on reality, the fearsome Galro took root in the state's pantheon of monsters based on a single story that appeared in Arkansas Gazette, P. M. Uh, January first, eighteen ninety-seven. The story was a byline by reporter Albert Smithy, purported to be the account of a Little Rock businessman named William Miller who said that while traveling on a business in the tiny town of Blanco in Searcy County, he had learned that a hideous monster called a garrow was killing livestock in the area. After forming a policy, Miller told the paper they tracked the garrow to a cave scattered with bones. There, they set up an ambush for the creature, but it got the drop on them by emerging from a nearby lake with a fearsome moor that caused the earth to tremble. In the account, Miller described the beast as 20 feet long with twin tusk, webbed feet, claws, horns along its spine and whip-like tail with a sharp blade on the tip. An ensuing battle with the posse, the creature reportedly killed several horses, uprooted trees, and tore a man's leg off before they were able to bring it down with sustained rifle fire. Miller claimed to have sent the creature's body to the Smithsonian Museum in Washington DC, but it never arrived. Since that account, the legend of the Garo has grown, including a witness who was said he had encountered a Garo at Devil's Horn in Boone County. Like the original story, however, these accounts are littered with the hallmarks of a fanciful Ozark folklore, and probably be taken with a grain of salt. Maybe two this one. Arkansas Galro. Read. Uh, It's plenty Arkansas Galro is a giant lizard said to live in the caves of Arkansas, Boone and Searcy counties, Northern Arkansas. It has two tusks on its head and is 20 feet in length. makes an assortment of groans and hisses. Sometimes before 1935 E.J Rose heard a commotion in a deep cavern called Devil's Hole, three miles northwest of Myrtle, Arkansas crawled down 200 feet to investigate, but couldn't see anything. Later, when he lowered a flat iron on a rope into a cavern, something bit through the rope. The garrow, one of several fabulous monsters reported in Arkansas popular lore, may owe its orders more to a journalism than to traditional narrative and folk belief. A personal documentation of this creature's instance is a story that appeared in the Arkansas Gazette on January 31, 1897, probably written by Elvis Men's. Uh, Elmer Burris brought an illustration usually really based on a photograph to occupy the piece. Fred W. Alstub, who edited the Gazette at the time, recounted the circumstances that led to Smithy's story. William Miller, Little Rock, Bisman, okay, uh, okay, not a story. Uh, examination of the remains revealed a creature of 20 feet in length with two tusks, large red feet, And in claws, a row of short horns along its back, and a long, thin tail with a blade on the end. William claimed this has sent the body to a Smithsonian Institution, but it never arrived at the Washington, D.C. Museum. I'll stop dismiss the Smith's account. It's a great fake, probably. Without foundation, in fact. The Ozark Research of Folklore collector Vance Randolph revealed additional details about the Garro, which he believed had been reported as early as the 1880s. Reynolds' sources su- suggested that the the gowro was a species of creature rather than a visual monstrosity. The unhatched from the soft shelled eggs as large as beer kegs what the f- and the mother carried nearly hatched infants in a pouch. Okay, some sub-view. Randolph related a story about an encounter with a Gowro by Splunker exploring devil holes in Boone County. Also told of someone from Mina County, who claimed to have captured a gyro by inducing the creature to eat so many dried apples that it swelled to a size that prevented it escaping to its burrow. The gyro's captor was exhibiting its catch to anyone who would pay a quarter. Once he had sufficient audience, the man was staggered from behind the curtain with his clothes and rags, and that so the gyro had escaped. This set the crowd into a panic without his, well, his having to bruise an actual gyro. Creatures such as the Garo abound in the folklore exaggeration that's often associated with the frontier. Though sometimes stories about them may be told as true, more frequently they are tall tales or lies, as some tours denominate them. In fact, Randolph presented his material on the Garo in the collection of all tall tales entitled We Always Lie to Strangers. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of monster legend podcast. Or to find more information about monster legend podcast, go to monster legend or anchor.fm forward slash monster legend podcast. There you can find all episodes and platforms on which the podcast is on, which you can describe, subscribe to. You also can email me with questions that will be answered on the show. Thank you. Music